So what is the most important thing you do every day? What is the most important thing you do every day? Maybe something in the morning. Maybe your coffee. Maybe brushing or flossing or showering, a bagel, bacon, pants, which we would all be happy if you would put that last one on your important priority list every day. Maybe the important thing that you do every day is centered a little more on what you actually do. Maybe the most important thing you do every day is is your schoolwork or or your job, where you are employed, your career. Maybe it's, it's homemaking or volunteering. Maybe the most important thing you do every day is wrapped up in your relationships and your roles and your titles. A husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter, a grandparent, a, a friend. Maybe the most important thing you do every day is wrapped up in information. Bible reading. Maybe reading the paper, looking at the stock market, listening to the results of some tests from the doctor. All of those things are important. All of those things are significant. All of those things have a place in our daily life. But there is something that outweighs all of those. There is something that is more important. There is one thing that really rises to the top of of what it means when it comes to importance in your day. At least that seems to be what Jesus gave us a message on. And the message he gave us was actually with his life. And so what is this one important thing that Jesus would give to us for our day? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, Jesus prayed. Jesus didn't just bless his food. He didn't just do the invocation or the offertory prayer. He didn't just pray before he preached and after he preached. He didn't just pray at presidential inaugurations. He didn't just pray at city council meetings. Jesus prayed all the time. It was part of who he was. It was part of his daily life. It was, as you look at him, the most important thing. So what is prayer? Well, prayer, simply put, is talking to God. But it is more than just talking to God. This is what Paul wrote to the folks at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Taken off on the old question, if a spiritually dead person is walking in a forest and a tree begins to fall on them and they cry out in prayer, does their prayer make a sound? You know, sometimes I think we read this verse and we think, oh, well, you know, that's, that's a nice church verse. Sometimes I think we kind of water it down a little bit. We, we take some of the edge off. We say, well, I mean, you know, dead. I mean, that's, that's not really what it is. I mean, it just, it just means that, you know, that we're not, we're not that great. You know, we're not really dead in our sins. We're not really dead in our trespasses. You know, we're just, you know, we, we don't go to church like we should. You know, we don't, we don't give money to the church or give money to charity or volunteer like we should. That doesn't mean we're really dead. Yeah, it means we're really dead. Dead actually means dead here. And what kind of dead is Paul talking about? Well, he tells us a few sentences later, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. You were at that time separate from Christ, 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separate, excluded, stranger, no hope, without God. If you are not a Christian, you're not a good kid. You're not a nice guy. You're not a sweet lady. You're not a patriotic American. If you are without Christ, if you are not a Christian, you are spiritually dead. Everything in the Bible screams this to us. So we can't take the edge off of what it means to be cut off from God. We can't water down what it means to be cut off from God. If you are not saved, if you are not a Christian, when you die, you will not go to a better place. And as Christians, we probably need to change our language, don't we? Because we do not go to a better place. We go to the best place. And we should talk like that. Let us be the Christians that don't say, well, she or he is in a better place. If it's a believer, let us say they're in the best place. They are with our Savior. We have no hope of being in heaven forever if we are spiritually dead and cut off from God. So why does hope matter in your life today? John MacArthur says this, hope is a profound blessing that gives meaning and security to life. Anybody want to feel safe and secure? Hope is a profound blessing that gives meaning and security to life. Living without hope of future joy and enrichment reduces man to a piece of meaningless protoplasm. That's why we go to Holland Avenue. The pastor just encourages us every week with things like we are meaningless protoplasms. Yeah, that does kind of sound like bad news, right? I mean, you can't really put together a good praise song with the words meaningless protoplasm. I don't know. Onita, Chuck, how about that this week? That sounds good. Let's see if we can't put something together. It, it, it sounds like bad news because it is bad news. It's, it's true news, but it doesn't have to be final news. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2.13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Yielding and submitting to Jesus Christ as your king, as your ruler, as your redeemer, as your rescuer, receiving his salvation, receiving him as protector, receiving him as provider, receiving him even as friend changes your news. According to what God's Word says, you will no longer be dead in your sins. You will no longer be separated from perfect joy or cut off from perfect love. You'll never be excluded from God's everlasting kingdom. You'll no longer be a stranger to hope. Hope will be yours. Why? Because Jesus brings you near to God. Jesus brings you near to God. See, prayer is not just talking to God. It is so much more. Because Jesus Christ was brutally executed to give you the privilege to even be in the conversation. 
See, part of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was to make a way for me and you to be able to really, truly, honestly pray, to be brought near to God in prayer. I think sometimes we forget what it means to be near to God. Jesus died to bring us near to God. Jesus died so that we'd have the privilege of praying and we choose coffee and the newspaper more. Why do we do that more? Why is it that we send lots of text messages and and lots of emails, but, but very little, as the old saying goes, knee mails? Why is it that, that prayer groups are often the least attended activity at any church of any denomination anywhere in the world? Now, I know it sounds like I'm trying to give you a ticket to a guilt trip. I promise I'm not. What I'm wanting to do is to invite us to touch the sky more. This is one of my favorite things to read out loud. I'm just reading a portion of it today. You'll hear me read it again. Maybe I've already read it before. I don't know. John Gerardo was the pastor of Zion Church in Charleston, South Carolina in the mid-1800s. This is something that he said in a prayer once. Look up. God, your Redeemer and Deliverer, reigns. Suns and systems of light are but the sparkling dust beneath his feet. Infinite empire is in his grasp. See, see he comes riding upon the wings of the whirlwind, wielding his glittering sword, bathed in the radiance of heaven, driving his foes like chaff before his face and hastening to the help of his saints with resources of boundless power and unlimited grace. See, he sits on yonder throne. That's what I'm inviting us to. It's not a a rally to try to put a guilt trip on you to pray. It is a rally to try to help us see that Jesus died so that we would look up more. Jesus died that we would touch the sky more. Jesus died to help us see that our God is sitting on yonder throne. And our God has always been sitting on yonder throne. And our God will always be sitting on yonder throne. And no one will ever take his place. Why would we choose coffee more than prayer? Why would we choose anything more than prayer if that's our God? But we do every day, all day. We choose everything sometimes but prayer. So how can we change that? How can we have a a deeper desire to pray? How can we have a a deeper desire to trust and enjoy this one who sits on yonder throne forever and ever and ever? Well, for all the answers of life, the best thing for us to do is to look at Jesus. And so let's do that. Look at that next part of verse 1. After he had finished praying... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. We don't know which disciple this is. Maybe Bartholomew. I mean, we don't hear much about that guy. Maybe it was him. I don't know. But we don't know who it was. But it seems what we do know is that that he was watching Jesus pray. Ray Stedman says this about this scene. Jesus was a source of continuous amazement to his own disciples. 
Life with him was one unending experience of joy and bewilderment. And they were forever attempting to explain him to their own satisfaction. And here, the disciples were watching him in prayer. And as they watched, there dawned the realization in the heart of one of the disciples that somehow the amazing power of Jesus was connected with his prayer life. When he had finished, one of them speaking for all the disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. Can't you just feel this scene? It's, it's like one of the disciples is there and he's kind of watching Jesus and, and he's waiting. He's wanting Jesus to say amen so that he can go over and talk to him. Come on, Jesus, hurry up and he talk to you. And so Jesus finishes praying and he goes over and he says, what was that? What was that? We've heard about how John taught his disciples to pray. And we've heard the rabbis in the church, but, but we've never seen that. You were talking like you were talking to somebody that has the sun and the systems of light as dust at their feet. You were talking as if you were talking to someone that has infinite empires in his grasp. You were talking as if you were talking to someone who sits on the highest and greatest throne forever and ever and ever. Whatever that was, we, we want some of that. And Jesus turns to them and he says, okay, I'll teach you to pray. Here's what you need to do. Just let go and let God. Jesus said, you know what, just, just say whatever comes into your mind when you pray. Jesus says, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. There's no right way. There's no wrong. Just, just do whatever. Just, just, just talk to God. He doesn't say any of those things, does he? No, he actually gives them a, a model prayer. He, he gives them a way to pray to help them draw near to God. This is also known as the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, I often refer to it as model prayer. I think it has been said many times long before me. But the idea is that it probably wouldn't be really the Lord's prayer because this wouldn't have been his model for praying because Jesus wouldn't pray that God would forgive him of his trespasses because he didn't have any. So it's, it's much more of a model prayer that he gave his disciples. And he was giving them this model prayer, not just something that they should repeat over and over again in the same way every single time they ever prayed. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus also said this about prayer, Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Hang on a second there, Dow. Meaningless repetition? I thought you just told us this was the model prayer that Jesus taught. Are you saying that Jesus is teaching us meaningless repetition? No, by no means. Think of meaningless repetition maybe in this way. Imagine I'm invited to go to a prison to pray with someone who was arrested for stealing a Sunbeam Bakery truck. I'm probably not going to sit down with that guy and say, give us this day our daily bread. He kind of already took care of that part. But I am going to pray the principle, right? I'm going to pray for God to to take care of his, his daily needs, his need for food. But I'm also going to pray that, that God would take care of his spiritual needs, his need possibly for salvation, at the very least his need for repentance, 
His need for his heart to be changed in the midst of his punishment. And so it's not just that we should pray it just like it is. There's nothing wrong with praying it just like it is. But Jesus didn't really give this to his disciples as the only thing they were ever supposed to pray, word for word, all the time, every time they prayed. But he did give it to them as a model, how they should think when they're praying. And so what does the model look like? How does it start? Look at verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Back in the days of Jesus, nobody at church prayed like that. In all of the Old Testament, the concept of God as Father is only brought up about seven times. Jesus brought up the concept of Father, God as Father, more than 70 times. And I'm so glad that he did, right? So that I don't have to get up in the morning and say, Oh, owner of the universe, who can squash me like a bug without even moving your hand? Give us this day our daily bread. See, Jesus, with one word, changed our life when it comes to praying. Because he says, when you pray, call him Father. J.I. Packer says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Because father is the Christian name for God. Jesus invites us with one word, to have an amazing relationship. For John 3, verse 3, I'm reading for the Amplified here. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God, and so we are. Love this language. Look, see, behold, can you believe this? If you're a Christian, the God of the universe has adopted you into his family. You are not naturally in that family. That that doesn't happen on your own. The only way that you can get into the family of God is through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, It's incredible math here. It's astounding what has happened. See, there's no way for you to be in God's family. There's no way for you to get to the best place. There's no way for your soul to be well. There's no way for you to be adopted unless Jesus stamps every page of your paperwork with his blood. That is incredible. Jesus says, you need need to call him Father. You are part of his family. You are are known by him. But some people say, "Mm, Father, yeah, you lost me there. Because my father, man, he's a bum. My father, he he left before I was even born. My father's a a hard man. My father, he he was never around. So if, if God's a father, eh, count me out. I don't have anything to do with that. But remember, God is nothing like your earthly father. Your earthly father may be a a proud, arrogant control freak. 
But he does not have the sun and the systems of light as dust at his feet. Your earthly father does not have infinite empires in his grasp. Your earthly father is not sitting on yonder throne forever and ever and ever. But God the Father is. And God the Father has permitted and privileged you as a Christian to be a part of his family through the person of Jesus Christ. So how should that have anything to do with us praying and how we pray? I love what Kevin DeYoung says. The Father who loves us is the King who reigns over everything. God is your Father and your Father is God. The one who knows you best and loves you most can also do and see and know all things. That is some Father. And he goes on to say this. We ought to have all this in mind and plant it deep into our hearts every time we pray. See what we sang a few moments ago and what we're going to sing again in a few moments? It's, it's not just some cool new Christian song. He really is a good, good father. It, it is who he is. But he's not just a father. Look what Jesus says next. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. I love how quickly Jesus makes this transition. Father, relationship, hallowed, respect. Boom, boom, right here together. He says, look, this God, he is your father. He knows you best. He loves you best. But he is also hallowed. He is also holy, holy, holy. He is also other, other, other. There's no one like him. There's no other father like God the Father. There's no other God like God. There's absolutely nothing that we can find that can compare to him. And only he is sitting on yonder throne forever. See, in making this quick transition between words, Jesus is really helping us in our prayer life. He's showing us what the most important thing we need to remember at all times is, and that is the glory of God. I think sometimes we forget that the most important thing in the universe is the glory of God. And in case we didn't just hear it, I'll repeat it. The most important thing in the universe is the glory of God. The most important thing in the universe is the fame and glory of God. The most important thing in the universe is not for you to have your prayer answered. The most important thing in the universe is is not for you to get what you want or to get your way when you want to get your way. The most important thing in the universe is the glory and fame and name of God. Therefore, the most important thing for a Christian would be the glory and the fame and the name of God. Therefore, the most important thing that we pray should have everything to do with the glory and the fame and the name of God. John Piper puts it this way. We should pray like this. God, grant me what I need to make your name great in the world. God, grant me what I need to make your name great in the world. Let me just hurt our feelings. Have any of us really prayed that way this week? Or have every time we've prayed, if we've prayed, have have we just immediately just, God, you know, I need a parking place, you know. God, I, I need 
$101.23 to pay this bill. Yeah. God, I, I need help because my boss is driving me up the wall. God, I need help because my spouse is being difficult. God, I need help because I don't know what to do with my kids. Are those bad prayers? Nope, they're not. But if we pray them disconnected from the glory of God, we're spinning our wheels. Because when I pray for God to work in my kids' lives, if I'm only praying that they will do good in school and good in sports and get a good job and get a good education and and find a nice person to marry and get a good house, but they don't have Christ, what am I praying for? See, the glory of God has everything to do with your child's life. The glory of God has everything to do with your grandchild's life. The glory of God has everything to do with your marriage and this church and the world because it's the most important thing in the universe. And how little do we pray about it? And yet if we did, something would happen. You might be thinking, glory of God, I mean, come on. I got bills. I got tough things at work this week. Man, I got a huge test. What? I mean, God's God. I mean, can't he glorify himself? Can he he take care of his own name and his own fame? I mean, you know, he's got the ability to put up his own billboards, right? I mean, what's he need me for? I'm busy. I, I got stuff to do. Why should I be praying about the glory of God? Why should I be concerned about the holiness of God? Why should I hallow his name. There's a story about a little girl, and she was sad every day at the same time. Just real sad. And she was sad because her mom would go away at this one time every day. And, and she would kind of be alone. Her mom would, would go upstairs. And the little girl was always really sad. But then she started noticing something. When her mom came back downstairs, she was different. She was more gentle. She was sweeter. There was a a more cheerful tone in her voice. And and her face didn't look all stressed and and weary and tired. In fact, the little girl noticed her, her mom's face almost glowed. And so she said to her, Mom, what do you do when you go upstairs? And her mom said, well, sweetie, when I'm upstairs, I'm, I'm going to pray and, and talk with God. The little girl looked down at her feet for a second. She kind of looked over at the wall. And then she looked dead in her mom's eyes, and she said, then, Mommy, please teach me to pray. Your spouse need you to whisper that same thing. Your kids need you to whisper that same thing. Your family, your friends, your church, your community, this country, our world needs each one of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ to whisper from the deepest part of our soul. Please, Lord, teach me to pray. Our God, and only our God, is seated on yonder throne forever. No one else will ever take his place. And so let us be people who beg 
and plead. For God to give us strength and hope and joy to turn to Jesus over and over and over again and say, Lord, help me touch the sky. Lord Jesus, teach me to 